If you're not already there, turn with me again to Romans 14. Today, verses 13 to 23, two, verse, uh, sorry, two sermons in Romans 14, two in the first half of 15, all on the subject of essentially Christian freedom and strong and weak brothers and how we relate to one another, particularly how the strong brothers relate to the weak brothers. And today this issue, this phrase that comes from the text today, stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks. So four total sermons on that subject. And then we're almost near the end of, of Romans, if you can, you can believe it. I don't know how many sermons it's been. I haven't looked lately. I don't know what it'll end up being. But we'll be off to, uh, to Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, once Romans is, is finished. So Romans 14, again, is a call to all Christians, but especially the strong, to love each other. In that sense, it's a continuation of, of the practical section of Romans that began at uh, chapter 12, verse 1, and through chapter 12 through 13, which were also, or as well, uh, practical instruction on what Christian love looks like in this world. The issue in chapter 14, as it says in verse 2, and we'll, I think, read uh, the whole of chapter 14 in a minute, um, but verse 2, chapter 14 reads, that one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables, abstains from, from meats. In other words, some Christians believe it is wrong for them to eat certain things, and others believe it is right for them to eat those things. And the question is, how do you love each other in that situation when convictions are firm and deep, when Christian freedom and the conscience come into play in practical religious matters? Last week, I shared um, the identity of the weak and the strong, and I thought that it would be useful to just, just go over that again quickly, briefly, the identity of the weak and the strong, so that as we read it and work through it again, we've at least uh, interjected some, some material from last week that I think is important. So, the weak in this text, and in the Roman context, were those who were attracted to and continued to practice observance of the Jewish ceremonial food laws contained in the Old Testament, that is, whether certain foods were clean and pure, and therefore abstaining from certain foods because they were considered to be ritually defiled according to the Old Testament law. So they would abstain and when we would eat together, when they would eat together, they would, they would abstain, and that would be obvious. Whereas the strong recognized that with the coming of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament ceremonial law, with its restrictions with regard to food and diet, no longer applied. The most widely accepted view then is that the weak are mainly Jewish Christians, perhaps including some converts who were attracted to the Jewish Christians' convictions and practices, who practiced essentially Jewish customs, and the strong were mainly Gentile Christians, certainly including some Jewish believers who were liberated, like Paul himself, who felt no obligation in these matters. They were free to eat, eat whatever. The main issue then, and where the rubber meets the road, was how Jewish and Gentile Christians could uh, eat together. It's very practical, given these differences. So this matter was very important to Paul since the unity of the church and the loving fellowship of the church depended on its resolution. Now, Paul has just explained in the verses we considered last Sunday, verses 1 to 12 of 14, that neither the weak nor the strong should judge one another. And now he shows specifically what this means for the strong and why it means this. 
For the strong, strong consciences, free in Christ to do this or that. For the strong then to walk in love, is the phrase Paul will use, with respect to the weaker brothers, they need to do what is good, he'll write. They need to do what is good. They'll tell us what that is. Without changing their own convictions, but also without putting their convictions on display. Look how free I am. They should refrain from consuming food that the weak consider ceremonially impure during the meal that believers would share together. When you eat together. Continuing now into the rest of Romans 14 then, Paul continues the warnings of the previous section, telling both the weak and the strong not to judge one another, but but again, he's focusing now exclusively on the behavior of the strong. You have responsibilities. It's not just about your freedoms. You have to think about love. The challenge is not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister who considers certain foods to be unclean. Applying more broadly to any peripheral religious practice where central doctrines or the gospel are not at stake. Your first priority is love, then, not freedom. Walking in love may mean refraining from eating meat or or drinking wine or doing, quote, anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Verse 21. All right, that's enough. We're going to do it now. We're going to work through this. Here's the theme then. No stumbling blocks. No stumbling blocks. Love your brothers and sisters. Now let's continue on then in Romans 14. But first let's pray, then we'll then we'll read it, and then we'll work through it in three, three points today. Father, thank You for Your Word. There is much need for conviction. There is much opportunity here to celebrate Your grace already in the life of this church and the love between brothers and sisters on display all the time here. We're so thankful to You for that. But there's work to do. There's growth to be sought after. There's submission to your word yet to be achieved, accomplished. We resist. We insist on our freedoms. But we think not enough about love and so, Father, I pray as we hear your word read and, and explained and proclaimed that, that you would soften our hearts even more to the leading of your Spirit and that this family would be marked more and more by what you call it to be marked by, which is love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 14. Our text is 13 to 23. Let's start at verse 1. I know it's a lot, but why not? Uh, It all goes together. I'll uh, start at 1. I'll say that we're at 13 when we get there, just in case you had to uh, pick up a water bottle or something, (laughs) or I don't know, cracker or something. I know there are distractions. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day 
observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, then. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The holy and inerrant word of God. Three points, as I said. Point one, verses 13 to 16. Walking in love, walking in love. Paul explains precisely how the strong can live according to the principles he has just outlined just prior to our text about leaving the judgment of a fellow believer to God. Leave that to them and God. Despite the, the theological correctness of their position, the strong should not act on the freedom that this position gives them with respect to food, because this might hinder or harm a weak brother or sister in Christ. That's, that's what he's on about. It reads this way again, verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. God is our judge. God is their judge. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. How much church conflict, especially in the realm of religious differences and religious practices, which is what this text is specifically about, would have been mitigated, ended, never happened if we would live by that. Rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Beyond simply not judging or not despising one another, depending on the position in those previous verses, we must therefore also avoid creating situations in which we know 
there will be stumbling blocks or even traps for one of our brothers and sisters with regard to their conscience. We should have a consciousness with regard to the weaknesses of our brothers and sisters in Christ in our church family and think ahead and plan to love them, not to showcase our freedoms. Do you see? But then in verse 14, Paul asserts something very important. Don't you think that somehow the strong are wrong in their convictions? Oh, they're right. You're right, strong brother. Freedom in Christ, brother. You're right. Verse 14, Paul identifying himself as one of the strong. He writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, You're theologically, biblically correct, strong brother and sister. You're you're correct. But, he finishes verse 14, here's what you need to remember with regard to the conscience of the weak brother. It is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Paul's language is forward. It's clear, as one who is in Christ Jesus and who is the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul declares that he knows, and therefore we should all know, but don't, that all foods are clean. We're just sticking with this one issue he's brought up. Paul's fully persuaded of this. There's no question about this. It's not debatable. The strong are right. You are free in Christ. No foods are unclean. You win. Hmm? Once he... What's he alluding to? He's alluding to Jesus' teachings about foods in the context of the religious Jewish practices, which which these weak brothers, remember, are are adopting in some way. This is what they're bringing to the table, as it were. And I guess, you know, literally too, it's their convictions they're bringing to the table when they eat. Jesus' teachings about food, that that what people eat is not what defiles. It's not what goes into you, remember, that that defiles you. It's what comes out of their, their hearts. It's what... It's what comes out of a person's heart that defiles him or her. And Paul may also have been aware of Jesus having declared and taught, quote, that all foods are clean. All foods are clean. And then, and then there was Peter's experiences. Remember, the, the sheet comes down declaring all foods are, are clean. Just to affirm it in Acts. So Paul's words here would have been somewhat shocking to the Jewish believers who may not be aware of all that. Or they are, and they just haven't got over it. It's, it's a hurdle, in a, in a way, for them consciously that they've just not worked out yet in terms of pressing Christianity into, into all of their religious practices in life. But it would have been shocking to the Jewish believers to hear Paul be this clear about it. Oh, you're wrong, weak brothers. I love you, but you're wrong. And this makes clear, by the way, who are the weak in this scenario. But in the case where someone has not yet come to realize this, either through ignorance or immaturity or whatever else, in the case of someone not yet realizing this, that food is unclean. That is, For anyone who thinks it is, who's convinced it is, who is convicted in their conscience yet to this point that it is. It is unclean. This establishes two points at least. The one is that the strong have the biblical high ground here. All foods are clean. The other is that the strong must not cause someone to go against conscience by tempting them to eat or drink those things they regard as unclean. For such people, such things are unclean. Paul's words are clear on that too. And it would be a sin, we'll find, 
he gets clearer about it later in our text. It would be a sin for the weak brother to consume them. And that sin is on them and you. Strong brother. Stumbling block. You threw it down. Verse 15, he goes on. For if your brother, this is a fellow Christian, all throughout this context, it's not changed, this is the context all throughout. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, strong brother, if your brother, your weak brother, is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. In fact, it could be so bad, he goes on. Paul feels the need to write these words. By what you eat, free brother, strong brother, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Oh, but I thought you're a Calvinist. I thought I thought that you teach that if you're in Christ, you can't get out of Christ once justified. Yeah, I believe that too. But people are destroyed. What faith it appears someone had is snuffed out at times. People do walk away from Christ. People do put their foot on Christ's neck, as it were, Hebrews 10. People do renounce Him. People do go out from us. And sometimes, apparently, it's because someone in the church, a brother in Christ, or a Christian, I should say, destroyed them, aided and abetted the shipwrecking of their faith, as it were. Don't take the teeth out of this. Reformed brothers. The point is that if we are eating something which offends our brother, certainly if we know, and certainly, certainly if we intend to offend, I'm going to rub it in their face. We are then not acting in love, something Paul has just spent a great deal of time emphasizing in chapters 12 and 13, going on and on. And the strong Christian assumes the burden here. There's nothing here about, well, this is on the weak, brother. I'm not going to set aside my... There's nothing about that here. It's the opposite here. The strong Christian assumes the burden here. It is up to the strong to make the necessary sacrifice and not flaunt his freedom in the face of the weak. Christian freedom, then, for the strong, goes, it, it goes both ways. It, it, it definitely entails freedom, too, for sure. And this will be true in all kinds of areas of your life with your strong conscience. Praise God. But it also entails freedom not to when the call is love, when you're with the brothers and sisters. If the strong forces the weak to violate their own conscience, they may do irreparable damage to that person's relationship with Christ, causing them to doubt the gospel and to labor under a burden of guilt which Christ died to remove. In other words, that word destroy is very serious, however you view assurance and once saved, always saved, all that stuff. However you view all that, and I have my own strong views, don't take the seriousness out of this word destroy right here. Verse 16 is a transitional so sentence. It's, a, it's an appeal. Paul once again reminds the strong that they have the biblical high ground. Just so you know, strong brothers, just don't be hearing that you don't have the biblical high ground here. You're in the good position Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good, Christian freedom in the context of the whole gospel, as applied rightly, don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So, 
when the weak brothers and sisters attempt to prevent the strong from enjoying their own freedom, would impose it, the strong are to gently remind the weak that God has declared all things clean. And not throwing it in their face, but there's a context. Brother, could I explain my views on this? Could we sit down and talk? Not at the meal, you know, separately. I don't want to tread over your conscience. I hope you don't mind either. But let me just assure you gently that God has declared all things clean. And even though the strong must not put obstacles in the way of the weak or set traps for the weak, the strong must not let the weak succeed in declaring clean things, uh, declare, excuse me, declaring clean things to be unclean. We're, we're not going to allow the freedom to be trampled on either. We're not going to allow things we call good to be called evil. We don't want to have a church where there is a as, as it said at times, a tyranny of the weak. There's a bunch of people around on eggshells. They know the things are clean, but the, po- the people in power, the, the weak folks, say they're unclean. So we just all pretend it's unclean. And the weak run the day. Good things are not to be spoken of as evil. God made them and gives them to us to enjoy. There's also an outside the church component here in verse 16 too, a possibility anyways for us to consider. If the strong in Rome insist on putting their theological convictions into practice in a way that damages the faith of the weak, the resulting um, breaking of community, the resulting divisiveness will bring justified criticism from unbelievers and hinder the progress of the gospel. If the world will know that we are Christ's, as Jesus said, because of our love for one another, then surely the world will look down upon us. They do anyways for lots of reasons. I get it. But this, on this point, see if this holds true. Then surely the world will look down upon us and look down upon Christ if we decidedly do not love one another. Those who might slander this freedom and then the gospel are probably the unbelievers in view in the verses to come now, who, if the strong do not take Paul's advice, will not see the believing community as a place of righteousness and peace and joy, but of power plays and strife and abuse and relational division. They won't know Christ accurately, be repelled by it. On to point two, verses 17, 18, and 19. Kingdom priorities. Kingdom priorities. So now Paul explains why it is more important for the strong to avoid damaging the faith of the weak than it is for them, the strong, to express their theological freedom from, in this case, dietary constraints. Priorities. To restrain themselves in this way shows an understanding of what is most important to God, how one can best serve Christ, and the importance of bearing an attractive witness to the unbelieving world, a community of love. Keep perspective. Your freedom is awfully big deal to you, I know. But it's not the most important thing, according to God. Keep perspective. Keep God first in your thoughts, not yourself and your rights. When yourself and your rights are at the top of your thoughts, well, God isn't there at the top of your thoughts. And His righteousness and His will. Keep your head and focus on loving your brothers and sisters because, verses 17 and 18, or 4, The kingdom of God is not a matter of this thing that you're focusing on and your freedom. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Check your priorities, brothers and sisters, says verse 17. Verse 18, whoever serves Christ in this way then, with these priorities, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. There's that phrase at the end where he, I think we can see that he's thinking about the church's reputation and Jesus' words, they'll know you by your love for one another. They'll know your mind by your love for one another. In light of the fact that the kingdom of God is the rule of God in the person of Christ, we must not allow trivial things. Let's say that carefully. Trivial things. As food and drink to divide us when it comes to eternal things and the things that are most important. The kingdom of God is centered in the revelation of Christ's righteousness, peace with God through Christ, and joy in the Holy Spirit who points to Christ and His finished work. So fighting over food and drink will always miss the mark. God is pleased, Paul is writing, when, when we keep things in proper perspective and we are approved then when we do so. When we don't, the church is just stepping all over each other. Verse 19 is a transitional so sentence again. It's another appeal, so then. It's sort of a transition both of that 16 and 19 transitions from one paragraph into the next. Verse 19, so then, let us go on with then pursuing what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You see how that is sort of a landing, a summary of, of what he's just written. Now, as with the command to love our brothers and sisters because this fulfills the law, Keeping these things in perspective is also not really an option at all when we add the rest of the verses. It's not a let, let, take it or leave it sort of thing for real Christians. Let's look. This is point three then. Verses 20 to 23. The stakes in how the strong care for the weak. The stakes in how the strong care for the weak. So now Paul returns to the main point or themes, but... Uh, but states them in more specific terms. Causing the weak to stumble is not merely a matter of distressing and even destroying them, but even broader than that, of tearing down God's work. The example of the strong might lead the weak to violate their sincerely held religious convictions about foods they consider forbidden and, and then so to sin. It might lead them to sin. Look at verses 20 and 21. Do not, verse 20, for the sake of food, it's a shorthand for the sake of your freedom with regard to food. Do not for the sake of food destroy, there's that word again, the work of God. Oh, look there. He wants you to know you're correct, strong brothers and sisters. Just peppering that throughout. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats in his freedom. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything. Boy, that's broad that causes your brother to stumble. So the main theme in the text is that the strong should refrain from eating and drinking in context that would injure the weak. Oh, how easy it'd be to apply this to alcohol, I suppose, but I'll say something about that um, at the end a little bit with some principles, but Paul introduces that a secondary theme, doesn't he? That the strong are correct theologically so that they don't misunderstand his exhortation. 
The strong should abstain from food and drink that cause the weak to stumble. But one should not conclude from this that the weak have a better theology than the strong or have superior faith. No, that's, that's quite the opposite, in fact. The strong, in fact, are more robust in faith. They've applied the gospel more broadly and correctly and have a better understanding of God's will and God's Word. They should not use these blessings in such a way, however, that the weak are wounded. We must be always willing to give up our freedom so as not to cause harm, division, or offense. There's a connection here to 1 Corinthians 8, which I've resisted a little bit to this point because the issues are different. The connection to 1 Corinthians 8 and the different issue of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols, that's, that's different. That's being brought in by, by Gentile things, by Gentile Christians, I should say, and, and Paul um, has some different thoughts on that. It's quite different than what's going on with regard to the food here in Romans 14. But there are broader principles that apply here in Romans 14. In the same chapter of Corinthians in which Paul argues that, quote, an idol has no real existence, so there he's arguing that that meat offered to idols, it wasn't really offered to to anything real, it doesn't matter. But in that same chapter, chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he also wrote, we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. In other words, it it doesn't matter. He, though, then says this, which is incredible. It's a little lengthy, but hang on for the, for the landing. Quote, but, but, but. See if this principle isn't exactly the same. Take care that this right of yours, strong Christian, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will he not be encouraged himself if, if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, your in, increased knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, listen to this, if food makes my brother stumble... I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Do you see how serious he is about how to correctly apply Christian freedom in relation to the weaker brothers and sisters? You would think, by the way, we talk about these things in this culture, I don't know, that we think, Paul says, regardless of my weak brothers and sisters, I will, meet, I will eat meat whenever I want because I'm free in Christ. I think sometimes we think Paul says that when in fact it's the exact opposite. If food makes my brother stumble, my weak brother, I will never eat meat, he writes, actually, lest I make my brother stumble. That's powerful. For Paul, the great champion of Gentile liberty and Christian freedom, is not saying merely that he will forego his privilege to eat meat as long as the weaker believer is around, but that he will do it forever if that is what is necessary for the spiritual health of the other believer. So what is the emphasis on one's own freedom? or upon loving the brothers and sisters. I hope for you, brother and sister in Christ, that that is painfully obvious now. Which is the emphasis? My freedom or loving the brothers and sisters in their weakness? It is clearly to be on loving the brothers and sisters just as it was for Paul and just as he teaches the church in Romans 14. If you would do this, brothers and sisters, he's writing, your love would be on display, both for one another and their upbuilding and for the world to see. 
In verses 22 and 23, Paul reiterates that Christians should mind their own business. Qualified, of course. We are our brother's keeper, aren't we? Oh, how we're to be far more in each other's business, I think, than we presently are in terms of loving, encouragement, and exhortation, and, and inquiry, and prayer. Oh, I, that's all true. But here we're talking about something specific. And here Paul says, mind your own business. <laughs> Verse 22 and 23 read this way then. The faith that you have, you keep that between you and God. Your strength, oh strong brother, you keep that between yourself and God. Blessed is the one, he goes on, verse 22, who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Verse 23, but, but whoever has doubts, this is the weak brother, is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So the first part of verse 22 could definitely be paraphrased as mind your own business in this regard. The last statement, everything that is not a faith is sin, that has sort of a, a broad universal maxim type quality, doesn't it? with that word, whatever or everything. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's a principle, a maxim. Paul desires to explain that eating apart from faith is serious because faith is fundamental to living the Christian life. Anything done apart from faith, from focusing on God and trusting in God, depending upon Christ, apart from looking in dependence to God the Father through Christ the Son, is sin. In Romans uh, chapter 4, Abraham's faith was saving precisely because it demonstrated to the world that God is glorious and excellent and holy, worthy of trust. He really trusted in God. It was real. It is real. It makes sense then in, in our text that Paul would say that anything done apart from faith is sin. Lack of faith is the same sin, then, that Paul condemns in chapter 1 of Romans. Idolatry there is the fundamental sin because self, rather than God, becomes the center of one's affections and reliance. Faith is the only way to please God because it looks to Him as the all-sufficient provider. So, Paul says, in essence, that the issue is not merely food, and cleanness, but faith and sin. Brother or sister who insists that Christian freedom is mainly about the issue in and of itself, you need to hear this. It's rather about faith and sin. Don't flaunt the faith that you have that makes you free to eat all foods. Oh, enjoy that freedom between you and God. You don't need to show it off or push others toward eating what you eat. You don't need to make a show of it. You're saying in that, look at me. This is about me. Oh no, it's not. It's about God and in you making it about you and perhaps doing those things. You're sinning and not looking to God and you're drawing others and throwing stumbling blocks down in front of the weaker brother and causing them to sin. So this is the goal. Let no one be pressed into eating things that his conscience condemns. This is what it means to put a stumbling block in someone's way, enticing them, that is, to do what their conscience condemns. The goal is the opposite of that, the joy of never doing what you believe is wrong. If we play fast and loose with another person's conscience or our own and encourage them to act against their conscience, which we now see means not acting from faith, then we are nurturing a hardness of heart and faithlessness that can, if it is not checked with repentance, lead to ruin and destruction. Paul knew about this. 1 Timothy 1.19, that Timothy, he wrote, should, quote, hold faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this good conscience, 
Some have even made shipwreck of their faith. In other words, by rejecting a good conscience and acting against what you know to be right, which is to act in unbelief, you can destroy yourself and others. So Paul is saying, don't do this to each other. Don't judge and despise and don't put a stumbling block in anyone's way on their journey to heaven. Instead, as Hebrews 3.13 says, rather exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened in those ways by the deceitfulness of sin. Love each other like that. Help each other get to heaven, as it were. Help each other act from faith, not against each other's faith. Upbuild, don't tear down. Pull along, help along, don't throw down stumbling blocks. Now, sort of in closing, and it's, it's not, a, I don't think I'm promising something, a short conclusion. It's reasonably short, but I did promise something that, let's say something about the, you know, the more broad application. So when Thinking about applying this to broader things, we, we do need to first be careful that we've understood the Pauline context. You can't just say, because of this, now this issue about flat screen TVs, I'm the strong one and you're the weak one. Like, what are you doing? What? There is not an exact parallel for those who abstain from alcoholic beverages since such abstinence is not rooted in religious, ritualistic, Old Testament considerations. There's principles that apply. Maybe that day's issue is pretty close. Those who believe Sabbath observance, the Jewish holy day, is mandated. Maybe that more closely sort of hits the situation envisioned here, and that's easy to say because it's one of the two issues he mentions. So somebody thinks, a Christian thinks, that we should be observing the Sabbath or the holy days. And there's differences in the church. Oh man, that, that, we're, right, we're right up Paul's alley now in terms of applying this. But typically, we're not arguing about those kinds of things. Typically, there are simply differences of opinions on important matters Typically, we're not so much differing, though, on religious practices, but on the application of Christianity to various things in life. Wisdom issues. We think you're a better Christian if you do this. We think you're not a very strong Christian if you do that, and it could be any number of various things. And this is not to say that the text does not broadly apply significantly in at least a few ways to today's world and church and those kinds of things and to the differences we have with one another. But one fine commentator formulates three general principles, I think, that relate well more broadly. And this is what I can give you. I think these honor the Word of God here. Number one, quickly, they're just sentences. Number one, believers continue to differ, and they just will, so cool it over certain matters that are not essential to the Christian faith. So relax. It's just going to keep happening. Paul did not expect such differences to vanish. They're not going to. So cool it. Relax. Be patient. Be prayerful. Number two, thus we should learn to relate to people in terms of their background, in particular scruples, in a loving manner, patient inquiring, gentle. We don't welcome them to quarrel, remember. Well, how do we? In love, in curiosity, in discipleship, perhaps, eventually. Number three, the unity of the church in all of these things and the glory of Christ should always be our ultimate goal. So what that means is that if you discern that the truth of the gospel is at stake, we fight like Paul then against error to the last ditch to defend it. If it means retreating and retreating, we fight. 
But if it is not a matter of God's grace in saving sinners, it's not a matter of central doctrine, not a, a matter of um, perverting the gospel, it's clear from these verses that the demands of love should override our personal freedom every time. Maybe forever. Remember Paul? 1 Corinthians 8. And with regard to when differences do arise, even over religious practices, love demands the pursuit of what promotes peace and building up. An abuse of Christian freedom by the strong in any church situation may hinder or even hurt the weak or worse, and it might bring shame upon the cause of Christ because of us. Only when Christian freedom is also freedom to deny oneself for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ and not just freedom to personally enjoy all that God the Creator has provided, is it the very freedom of the Spirit of Christ. So says God's Word, brothers and sisters. May it be so. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would apply it now in ways I could never to these folks in their, in their hearts and minds, and that you would be growing an increasingly loving community that doesn't insist on its own freedoms, but knows that we are free that the strong position is indeed correct, but, but we don't seek to, to lord that over our brothers and sisters. But give us discernment where to challenge and where to insist on hear no further with regard to the gospel. Help us to love. Help us to seek your glory above all things and thereby to a watching world that we would have the opportunity to display that we are indeed Christ's. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.